I love seeing all the new faces, and I, it's been a while since I've been here. Uh, I think it was January where the three of us pastors came here and uh, spoke to you guys, and we're very honest and uh, very transparent with what was going on and just behind the scenes with the three of us. And we really kind of uh, mapped out a new course for the church of the direction that we want to go. And so Pastor Ryan, Pastor Andy, and myself, for those of you guys who maybe haven't seen me, I'm Pastor Kevin at the Whitewater Campus, and we're doing a ro rotation today, so we're having a lot of fun with that and seeing all of our other church family. But we really made this decision that we no longer were going to go do our own thing, and we were no longer going to isolate into our own communities and our own churches, that we were really going to rally together and we were going to uh, serve one another. We were going to be in unity. And we believe that we were stronger together than just in our individual campuses. And so we, we've really just, um, the last eight months or seven months have just been a whirlwind of, of change uh, within uh, the, the staffing and the, the church internally. Mostly you guys, you guys are probably aren't seeing as much of it or feeling as much. But it's just been, I just want to let you guys know, since January when we, got, when we shared with you guys and we were very real about what we'd gone through and really humbled ourselves and repented of, of the things where we had missed the mark. It has been absolutely amazing. It's been so, so good. It's been such a joy to serve with the, these two other pastors that are just so incredible, and we've been for each other. And one of the analogies that I'd felt like God was calling us to during that time, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, when the Israelites were going into the Promised Land, uh, one of the things that happened was is that God said that I want you guys to help each other out take territory. And so I, and so, but one of the temptations of each of the tribe, once they got their land, they're like, we're good. All right, we're going to hang out there. You can go and you can do the rest of the fighting. And then you'd have Joshua be like, no, the agreement was that once they got their land, you would then go and help them fight, get their land until all of what God had promised would be claimed. And so that was that was the agreement that was made, but it was really tempting for each tribe once they got their piece of land to be like, oh yeah, we're good to go. And so that's what I really, really felt like we as a church, we're going to fight for each other. We're going to help each other acquire land and take the land for, for the Lord, so to speak, to take our cities for the Lord and that we're going to rally together. And, and that's why what's coming up, this Ready Kids for School is a really important outreach here in Jefferson. And so I would, I would love to see all of you guys out there. All three pastors are going to be there. We're really pulling on all of our campus to be there because this is the part, these outreaches where we go into our city, we shine the light of Jesus, where we love our people well, and we help take each other's land. And so when we do the Milton Carnival, that we all are there and we're all on board for that, where we're helping each other and rallying around so that we can be able to make a deeper impact in all of our community, that we're just stronger when the three of us are rallying together for our cities. Amen? And so I, I just want to invite you guys to come join us for the Ready Kids for School. One of the needs right now is to be able to use, bring gently used books. Uh, there's a key word in there that I used, uh, gently. Um, so that's why we will not be using any of my kids' books because there's nothing gentle about that where they throw them down, they're jumping on it, and they like take the pages and the binders and twist them to see how far. And it's just crazy of, of how kids do that. They have no understanding or value for that. So... Gently use books would be appreciated. Um, and then the other thing that I want to bring your attention to is there's a pool party at the Logamans on Tuesday. And so if you're interested in having a pool party, I guess there's 50 people there last time. That is a lot of people in the pool. Uh, and so um, I did hear that they have a rule. There is no peeing in the pool. Okay, so um, if you're into that, then you're probably not invited. Other than that, you are, every, all of you are invited. Um, this guy up here is telling me that they did a, a study and 25% of adults admitted that they pee in the pool. I mean, if 25% of the adults are doing it, we know that 100% of the kids are doing it, all right? 
So if there's kids in that pool, I ain't going to be there. Have you guys ever had that when you're swimming and you hit a warm spot? You're like, ooh, a warm spot. Oh. Like it felt good initially, and then you realize what, you were, what was really going on, and you're like swimming away. You're like, oh, no. Got to shower after this. I hope there's chlorine in here. So uh, that's a long ways away from the pool party announcement. But if you are interested in having some fellowship and getting to know some more people in the church, it's a great thing to do. And lastly, I just want to just say that you guys, um, I'm sure you already know this, but you have an incredible pastor here in Pastor Andy. This guy is amazing. And I've, we actually were interning at the church together back in 2009. Uh, we, we've been working together and friends a long, long time. And he's always just an incredibly humble guy. I mean, he is, he's a kingdom man. And he is not, he is not about building his own kingdom, as you guys have already seen and experienced. And that's why he's so easy to work with, because he runs everything through the filter of what does God want to do and how is his kingdom going to be expanded through this, not my own. And a man like that is really fun to work with because he's just not about himself at all. And I just absolutely love him. And uh, man, I just call him my friend and my, my fellow laborer in Christ, and I'm just so thankful that he came back from North Carolina, amen, and wanted to brave the cold weather of Wisconsin. Oh, by the way, uh, if you guys haven't picked this out yet, Andy, Andy doesn't like outside at all. Okay, so we did this activity in the staff, and we, we, wanted, we made a list of each, each everyone, I had everyone make a list of what, what energizes you and what drains you. And Andy's was just so funny because everything on his draining list had to do with the outside. Uh, the cold weather drains me. Bugs drain me. The sun drains me. Uh, the trees changing colors drain me. Uh, having to be able to deal with my flowers and cutting grass every week drains me. I was like, oh my gosh, you hate the outdoors. You, you are such a city boy. Uh, where are you, you raised him. And Matt, that's, come on. I was like, and everything that energized me was being outside, uh, planting flowers, being able to enjoy the outdoors, the sun, like everything. We had the exact opposite list, and it was hilarious because he really doesn't like the outdoors. I was telling about how I was like planting my garden and, and uh, my flower garden, and I just love flowers, love planting, all that kind of stuff. And he's like, man, I don't like any of that. He's like, I, I want it to be all rocks and a few trees. And I was like, you are just... It's a good thing you're humble and you're kingdom, man, because we don't have anything in common when it comes to this. <laughs> Andy's just incredible, and I just love that guy so much. All right, well, we better get into the message here this morning. But this is actually the last one of this series called God Never Said That. How many of you guys are enjoying this series and learning some things and maybe these sayings that you uh, were raised with or you heard your entire life and then you're like, wait, that's not in the Bible? And so we've been trying to just get, get rid of all that confusion where we can believe these things and we can say these things and we think that God says them but he just doesn't. It's not in his word. And we've been saying that a lot of these sayings are not malicious. It's not bad. It's not evil. It's just that it can be confusing if we think God says it when he really didn't, and it can bring a lot of confusion for people. And so this morning, we're going to hit on this final one that God never said, and that is money is the root of evil. Money is the root of evil. And that that's kind of can be a common thing, especially within Christian circles, that money is the root of evil. And this morning's message is, is nothing really new for a lot of you, and you've heard this a lot. And I just want to just say that this is a really important one. And the reason why we talk about this topic um, every so often is to just give us ourselves a check on this one. The culture that we live in is enamored with stuff and with money. And so it's always good for us to be able to check ourselves in this area to make sure 
that the culture hasn't gotten and crept in without us even knowing, and this becomes a big deal. So where, where this came from, where does this, uh, this money is the root of evil come from? Well, I, I believe it comes from what the Apostle Paul instructed Timothy about money. So the Apostle Paul was, uh, had, wrote Timothy, this younger pastor, a couple letters, and he was giving them instruction about what to teach at the church and how to run the church. And I, I just love the book of Timothy because it gives me a lot of insight and helps me a lot um, in that similar role as a pastor. And so uh, Paul, writing this young pastor, he said this in 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Everyone say the love of money. See, that key word love is what gets missed, but it's not, the, it's not money the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Now, notice Paul, he's addressing a heart issue. He's talking about the love of money, which is this heart issue. Now, I believe there's these two ditches in the Christian faith when it comes to money. And I've spent time in both of them, so I can speak about them. The first one is what Paul just, what I just read, what Paul said, is that we love money. And let me tell you, this one kind of sneaks up on you because uh, no one, everyone agrees that it's not a good thing to be able to be like, I love money. Mm -hmm. I love it. The more I can get it, the better, happier I am. Like if you're at church, you know you probably shouldn't say that saying. And so we, we, we know we shouldn't, but I think that we can let this creep in without us even knowing it. And I'm convinced the number one driver of the love of money is ego. It's our pride. It's wanting to prove our worth uh, and our value through material stuff and having stuff. And uh, how many of you guys have ever uh, drove a sports car or wanted to drive a really expensive sports car so you could do like the, what's up? Yeah, this is mine. Or I'm borrowing it. You know, <laughs> you know or I'm, I'm just giving a test drive on this. But it, it makes you feel this, this sense of importance. And maybe for some of you guys are like, you know, minivans do that for me. I'm really tempted with minivans. <laughs> Like I see, I pull next to a Honda Odyssey and I'm just like, oh man, I want that. You know, like uh, there's this guy one time that was prophesying over me and um, I don't think it was the Lord, but maybe it will be in the days down the road. But he said, you just love trucks. And I was like, I don't really care about having a truck. I like minivans, you know? So, uh, but you know, where, where we have there, our ego stoked a little bit when we have this stuff and it makes us feel important, it makes us feel valued. And let me tell you, Christians can fall into this just as easy as anyone else. And here's the way that I check myself on this one, is that I ask myself the question, how much time today, this week, or you know, this year have I been consumed with thinking about money, whether how much I have or how little I have? You might be saying, I don't love money. I don't have any of it. Well, you can, it's, remember, it's a hard issue. It has nothing to do with the dollar amount. It has everything to do with how much it consumes our thoughts. It consumes our motive. It consumes our behavior. It consumes the direction of where we're going. And, and, and not that you don't think about money. There's a thing called stewardship. But where it just consumes you, where it becomes the one that becomes on the throne of your heart instead of the Lord being on the throne of our heart. Or how often, and this other question I ask, am I comparing how much I have with someone else? I know that the love of money has crept into my heart a little bit when I start comparing what I have with other people. Man, they're driving a nicer vehicle, or man, their house is nicer than my house, or they got this and I don't have this. And when that comparison comes in, I know that the love of money is trying to creep its way into my life and my heart, and I have to be able to, to acknowledge that and, and to be able to repent or turn from that and ask God to be able to push that back out of my life. Look at how Paul um, 
told Timothy what would happen if we, if we loved money. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the truth, true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. How many of you guys uh, maybe can think of somebody that has plunged their life into ruins because of this love and pursuit of money, where they've, they, th- that ego got the best of them, and then they just thought, well, I can do whatever I want, and I can have whatever I want, and I can have whatever girl I want or whatever guy I want. And this love of money, this love of stuff, this love of this world created so much destruction. It all came back on them, and it was like a wave that crashed on their life. And, and this is what Paul's talking about, is that when that love of money gets in us, if we, don't, if, we're not, if we don't repent or turn from that and allow the Lord to cleanse our lives from that, it will plunge us into this destruction, into this ruin. Now, that's one of the ditches is the love for money. Well, here's the other ditch. And, and like I said, I've been in both ditches, and actually I've been in this one more. Uh, I got saved really early in life. I was pretty young. I was a teenager. And so I went from uh, loving money a lot to uh, having swinging the completely other way, and that was we think money's bad, and therefore we should be poor. Or another, uh, if you guys have been in the church, you might have heard the poverty gospel. And so what this ditch does is that it makes you really judgmental of what others have in the sense of they shouldn't have that. Why do they have that expensive thing? Why do they have that expensive vehicle? They probably can't even afford that. You know, where we start judging that, and, and, and you know, it's notorious for, for, because of pastors have abused it, but you can look at a pastor, what is he doing driving that? I can't believe that they have that. And, and a good pastor is really poor, and so we need to keep our pastors poor. And so it's this poverty gospel that can be able to creep in. And thank God you guys don't believe this. Thank you, <laughs> church. Like, I really appreciate it, you know, <laughs> that we don't really fall into this poverty gospel that the poorer that we are, the better we are. And I just love how financial guru Dave Ramsey said it because it really broke this off of me of thinking that it was more holy for me to be poor. I was better than someone else because I was poor and they were chasing after, they were chasing after their riches or they had nice stuff and I didn't have nice stuff, which means they, they were all into this world and I wasn't, where I got very judgmental based off of the outside appearance of things. And this really helped me. Dave Ramsey said this, He said, you see, money is amoral. It doesn't have a guiding principle of its own. Having money or not having it doesn't change who you already are. And I just love this. When you earn more money, it just makes you more of what you are. If you're a generous person and you get wealthy, you become a generous, wealthy person. He left it out of this quote, but other times he said, and if you're a jerk, you just become a bigger jerk. I'm just like, man, I love Dave. All right, it's all about whose hands the money is in. Think about a brick for a second. In the hands of the right person, a brick can be used to skillfully build a home for a family. But in the wrong hands, a brick can be used to break your car window and steal your wallet. It's all about whose hands it's in. The brick doesn't care. Isn't that interesting? That money is the same thing. It's amoral. It doesn't care what you do with it. And so whether you use it to give and to bless people or whether you use it for your own gain or a selfish motive, it doesn't care. And it just makes you more of what you already are. And I, and I hear this all the time where people are like, man, if I, if I uh, won the lottery, then I would, just, I would give to this and give to that. And there's a show that was out. I don't know if it is anymore. It's um, won the lottery and broke. So it just it proves that money is this heart issue, that no matter how much you have, if your heart 
is, is after the wrong thing, it, it doesn't matter the money amount. You will end up in the same place. The Apostle Paul told Timothy something really interesting in the last part of 1 Timothy 6, where he's told Paul or told Timothy, Timothy, I want you to talk to the people in your church that are wealthy, and I want you to instruct them. And his instruction for the people in the church, in Timothy's church that had a lot of money, was this. And I just think it's so, so good. He said this, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, to avoid that ego, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. He doesn't say, oh, tell them their money's bad and they're bad because they have a lot of money and they need to be, get rid of all their money because that's bad. He doesn't say that. He goes, tell them to use that money that they have to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. Another translation says the coming age or once this life is over that you're storing up treasure for eternity and not for now so that they may experience true life. I just love how how Paul didn't say uh, tell them how bad they are and how wicked they are. He said no if they have a lot of money tell them to use it for good to be able to use it for God's kingdom and not their own kingdom. So if money's amoral it doesn't care what you do with it then what God tells us of what we should do with money is really important then. And, it's, and he doesn't look at it as this good or bad, right or wrong. And I see the Bible talk about three things to do with money. And actually, it's common sense because uh, even if you're not a Christian, or uh, it's just, you can only do these same three things with money, and that is you can save it, you can spend it, or you can give it. That's really all you can do with money, those three things right there. And so God says the first thing that he wants us to do with money is to be able to give it. Now, I know that this is, this is a hard one, and, and I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years about this, and um, people that really do want to uh, give, they really do want to be generous, but they always feel like, I just, I don't have enough. I don't have enough to give, and I'm sure some of you have felt that at times, where you're like, man, I, I want to be generous, I want to give, but I just, I don't have enough. Now, if, if money was just material and numbers, I would agree with you that if once you have enough and you have some extra, then go ahead and give the extra. I would agree with you if, it was, if money was just material, if it was just numbers. But money, the truth about money, is not just material. It's actually spiritual. And because money is spiritual, we have to have a different approach with it. Let me show you. In Luke 12, 34, Jesus said this, wherever your treasure is, everyone say treasure, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Which is saying, God is making this point that money, our treasure, and our hearts, they're connected. They're not two different things. They're actually reflecting our heart condition. And then Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And let me say it this way. There can only be one king on your heart. There can't be two. There can only be one king on the throne of our hearts. And then he says this, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So he's making this thing that money's a spiritual thing, that, that how we use money, it's a deeply spiritual thing that reflects the heart condition of, of what's on our heart. And I hate to break the bad news to you here this morning, church, but if you aren't generous in the little, you won't be generous in the a lot. 
Because it's a heart condition. Because if money enslaves you with a little, it'll enslave you with a lot. And so my question is, let's not wait until we, or my, my comment is we shouldn't wait until we win the lottery to decide to be generous. Well, what are you going to do when you're given a dollar? What do you want to do with that dollar? Do you want to be able to give it or is it, is it just for me? And, you know, because what I've found with money and, and raising a young family is there's always something more I can do with money. We live in the United States of America and Amazon Prime is available, <laughs> right? Not only can you have it, you can have it like right now. And, and they made it so easy. I mean, you don't even have to put in a password. You don't put in anything. You just got to click the button. Oh, it's in my cart. That's cute. And so now I want to buy everything in my cart and it's coming tomorrow. Yay. Right. I mean, I, Chris and I, we have Amazon Prime. It is really easy. And so my point is there's always one more thing to buy. No matter how much money you have, there's always one more thing to buy. And when you have a lot of money, there's always one more really expensive thing to buy right? Another beach house, another lake house. There's always one more thing, and there's always really good reason to buy it. Like, men are notorious for this. Like, I need that bass boat. Like, I need it. Like, we're not talking about, like, I, 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 it's a want. I mean, this is a need for my own health and sanity. I need this thing. You know, like, we're really convincing, aren't we, when we want something? Uh, and there's always one more investment to secure our future. There's always one more activity to be able to put money towards. There's always one more thing. And so if we have this approach that once I have enough, then I will give, there's just always going to be one more. And that's why God, he, he knew this about us, and he knew that if we let this mindset happen, that money would have a hold of us instead of us having a hold of money. He knew that it had the potential to destroy us if we didn't give first. And this is why the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9, he says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always, say always, always being ready to share with others. And then in Proverbs 3, 9, it says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit. He gets the first of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. See, God has a principle that works opposite of our natural thinking. And he actually, by the way, has a lot of principles that work this way. It's, it's opposite of our natural thinking. It's almost like, uh, it's, it's almost kind of blows our mind that we would think that that'd be the case. But his principle is, once you give first, then I will give you more. Not that you do that to get more, because now money has a route where you're trying to use him like a vending machine or a, 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 like gambling. But, but when it comes to God, he says, once you give first, once I know that your heart is mine and you realize who owns it all anyway, once you do that, then... Then I will bless you. He doesn't say the work of the, he doesn't say, I'm gonna bless you with a whole bunch, and then if you have anything extra, just give that. Or then give. He doesn't work the other way because he knows our hearts, church, doesn't he? He knows how we operate, and he knows if it was the other way around, money would control us every time. So he said, and it's this amazing spiritual thing that happens. When you give first, it liberates something in your heart. And this is why this is what I found early on as a believer when I started to give. And I had all the different um, uh, all the different being cynical about giving to the church, as probably some of you had. I grew up in a very dysfunctional giving. I think Pastor Andy has shared that, where at the church that I went to, they posted everyone's giving on the back wall at the end of the year. And it was really meant to humiliate those lower givers so that they would give more. It was this guilt and motivation to be able to do that. And so I grew up thinking that's what church does. They, they guilt and shame you into giving. So I'm not talking about, and I, 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 had, I had a hard time sorting this through this as a Christian because I was struggling with, uh, do I want to give money to the church? I saw what that did. And one once I realized that this was between me and God, 
And this had everything to do with my heart and my freedom. And once I started giving, it was like, oh, God, you own everything. Oh, this is so much uh, easier to realize that I'm not responsible like this, that God, you own it all. And now you just called me to steward your stuff. It was so liberating for me. And I've been practicing this principle since I was 16 years old. And I'm just telling you, it works. God's ways really work. Now, here's the next thing that we can do with money is that we can save it. So we can give it, and then we can save it. Proverbs 21.20 says this, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. And so there's this principle that God says is actually really wise for you to be able to store up a little bit for that rainy day or for that emergency fund or for that retirement when you can't work anymore. It's actually really wise to be able to store up some choice food and olive oil. But it says fools, they're, they're like paycheck to paycheck. They gulp down everything that they got. But this is where we need to be careful. We must check our heart in this when it comes to savings. And that is if we put our trust in our riches instead of in God. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, trust in your money and down you go. Isn't that interesting? The Bible's pretty blunt about some things. And here's one of them. It says, but the godly flourish like leaves in spring. So there's this balance here. It's really, it's really wise to be able to save some. But also, if you start putting your, your heart and your treasure in, ooh, the savings, and this is my security, and I'm going to trust in that, and it says, down you go. Because how many of you guys have lived through a recession before, and you've seen how quickly money can go? How many of you, raise your hand if you've lived through a recession, or maybe a couple of them, maybe the 70s and 80s and the recent one. And you, you know that this is true, that if, you wanna, if we're going to follow money, we're going to follow it with the economy, and there's, there's lots of ups and downs with it. Now, here's the last one here this morning of what we can do with our money. And you guys, some of you guys are like, man, I never thought you'd get to this one. And that is spend it. <laughs> right? You can spend it. Now, I, I need you guys to look at me here this morning because I think that sometimes we can, get very, we can over-spiritualize money too. And let me just look at you and say, it's not evil to spend money. Okay? It's not evil. Hear this. It's not even evil to spend money on things that you want. <laughs> Like, you can spend money on things that you just don't even need, and it's okay. And, like, nobody's going to slap you on the wrist and judge you for it. It, It's it's actually a really good thing. Now, I love this where Paul says this to Timothy, to the people that had this a lot of money, said their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for what? Our enjoyment. Come on. So there's nothing wrong with having the bass boat. Just be honest. Be like, man, that's just for my enjoyment. I don't need it. And I got lots of food at home. So if I don't catch any fish, I'm okay. It's okay. It's okay. Like, it's, it's okay to be able to have stuff. I just don't want stuff to have you. It's okay to be able to have nice things and stuff you don't even need. I mean, if you went to my house, you would see all the stuff that I don't really need, okay? I mean, all the things that just make my life easier, like a changing table. I'm really big into, like, the whole babies, kids thing. You got to apologize. Whitewater is probably like, I'm so sick. I need Pastor Ryan here. I'm so sick of hearing Kevin's kids' analogies and pooping stories and changing diaper stuff. They're like, I need to change the pace. So uh, you guys can get that here this morning. But there are so many luxuries... Like even disposable diapers. How many of you guys change your kids in the, the usable di- reusable diapers? Raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody? Oh my gosh, it's so disgusting. You guys, what are you doing? You're millennials. I would expect so much more out of you. We live in a throwaway culture. Oh, with the first baby. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm willing to borrow money not to have to go and, and do that. I mean, there is no way. Like Seriously. But here, here can be the trap. And, and like I said, God wants you to enjoy your things. He wants you to have things, but he just doesn't want those things to have you. 
But the trap becomes, and we can know that we're, we've gone too far, is when money starts having us. Proverbs 22.7 says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. So this, this is, it, it can flip on us so quickly. We're, we're enjoying our stuff, and God, it's all yours. And if we're not careful, if we don't continue to let God just have access to our lives and our hearts and our finances, it can flip on us. And all of a sudden, the stuff has us, and now we're slaves to the credit card company, the, the, the mortgage company, the, uh, the car, that car that we, we borrow, all these things, and it creates an incredible amount of stress and anxiety. And let me just tell you that the reason why God doesn't want us to be underneath of that, because he knows how much stress and anxiety and fear, it has, and he hates seeing his kids under that weight and that pressure. So he says, I want to give you some wisdom. So that you can have stuff and stuff won't have you. And so that, that you won't have be a slave to the lender and, and have to go to sleep and, and be thinking, how am I going to be able to pay that bill or that credit card? And it can just happen so subtle, uh, subtly in that you, uh, okay, well, I'm going to take out this credit card and I'm just going to pay it all back at the end of the month. And then, well, uh, we, another emergency came up, and so I can't pay it all off at the end of the month. And, and, and we're, oh, I'm, I'm going to take out another credit card. And, oh, man, I can get that deal over at Menard. So I'm getting out a big card. And, man, I'm going to be able to save like four cents. It's going to be totally worth it. You know, I'm just joking. Just joking. But it just, and then it just starts accumulating on you. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're stressed out. You're, comp- you're anxious. You're having trouble sleeping at night. And you kind of come to, and you're like, how did this happen? How did this happen where I was good and, and I believe that all of it was God's and he owned it all and now all this stuff owns me? I mean, have any of you guys like experienced that even to a little degree where you're like, I'm, Chris and I have, you know, like, and especially we let our guards down busy times when we're just going and we're spending and then we come up for air and we're like, oh my gosh, like we have completely got off the rails and, and we have allowed these things now to, to creep in or we need to get, the, get a hold of the reins again and, and pull it back in. And so Chris and I have to have dealt with that. This is an ongoing uh, battle where, where we live in a nation that is very prosperous and that's great, but the enemy wants to use that so badly to put people in bondage. And it's, and it's really easy as believers, I think, just to gradually creep in there. And that's just the, the warning here this morning. And so I want to read a few statistics U.S. consumers owe more than $1 trillion in credit card debt. $1 trillion. See, the stuff, they don't own the stuff anymore. The stuff owns them. And they're in bondage. And that's where God's not mad at you if you're like, man, I'm part of that $1 trillion. He's not mad at you. He loves you. You're his kid. But he, just, he hates seeing his kids in bondage. He hates seeing his kids where they're struggling and, and where their, their, their peace has been stripped from them because of money. And that's why God's heart is so, so big on this. U.S. consumers are paying more than $122 billion in interest each year. Have you noticed that the, that the uh, banks, the bank buildings and cities keep on getting bigger and bigger, and your house stays the same or gets smaller? Like theirs keeps on growing and yours gets smaller. And it's a good sign of why, because they got about $122 billion just in interest to work with a year. That's why they can have really, really big buildings. Over 43% of all credit card accounts aren't paid in full every month. 70 million people carry this debt month to month. And so 70 million, that's like half of the U.S. adults, right? And so the reason why 
we as a church are just constantly talking about this. Maybe you're like, gosh, we have to talk about money again. We just know the culture that we live in. We know the country that we live in. And we know that this is a constant threat to believers where the enemy wants to use money to destroy us. Remember, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you better believe that he wants to use money as a tool to be able to destroy our lives. In the hands of God and him owning everything, money's an amazing tool that can be used to bless people and bless your family and enjoy things. But man, when that turns on us, it becomes this weapon against us where it steals from us. It steals our hope and our joy and our future and, and where it kills our, our, our desire and our desire to get out because we're so hopeless. We're so much under this load and, and it destroys our hope. You know, I, I want to end here this morning with uh, a story about the, this lady that came into my office. She, she had just finished the journey commissioning. And so if you guys know our journey program, at the end we want to commission people out to go into the calling that they've discovered over those last 10 weeks. And so she came into my office and she said, Pastor Kevin, man, this is awesome. This has been so amazing because I feel like I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. And God has called me to be able to go and join this organization and to be able to help children who have been caught in human trafficking. I was like, oh man, your mission statement's way better than mine. You know, and, and so she was just so fired up about it. And I was like, yes. So when are you going? When are you starting? She goes, you know, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do it. She said, I'm in so much debt. She said, I got credit card debt. I got car debt. I have student loan debt. I mean, I just have debt everywhere. And, and I said, well, how much? And she's like, told me the number. And I'm just like, oh. And it was so hard for me to be able to see this person that God had given purpose and vision to of what they should do with their lives, but they were in bondage to the borrower or to the, the slave to the lender. And they were this borrower that now couldn't do what God had placed in their heart because they'd gotten enslaved. And that's really, I mean, when that happened in 2016, everything changed in my heart. I'm like, we have got to warn the church about this. We've got to do something where we start managing money God's way so that no more will our people be in bondage so that they can't go and do what God has called them to do. Amen? Amen. I want to uh, reinforce what I'm talking about here this morning. I was talking to uh, a guy that, that goes to this campus, and I think you guys all know him, and he is just a lot of fun. And I was talking with him this week, and he was just sharing with me everything that I'm telling you about here this morning, his journey when it comes to with money and dealing with the, the money part of his life and what it has been in his and how it has worked in his life and how it's almost tried to destroy him and, and then his victory out of it. And so I would like him to be able to come here this morning and share with you guys. Give a warm welcome to Keith Austin here this morning. Thanks, Kevin. I wanted a grand entrance, so that's why my wife said I had to sit in the back. <laughs> Some of you heard me speak a little a weeks ago, and yes, that's a one-hour cup. So um, now my daughter on me. Kevin and I went to lunch, and uh, we ate at something called a panini. It's a lot of bread and this much meat. It's, ooh, no. But anyhow. It is my favorite restaurant. It is his favorite restaurant. I didn't see the name. I set up appointments I, in Jefferson just so I can eat at the Brick House. I try to take them to these big burgers. Um, I'm going to try to go through this. Uh, you know, Basically, number one disclaimer I put out every time I speak. If you're offended by me, it's not me. Either God's touching your heart or I don't know. Because I'm not here to offend any one person. I am not here to brag. Um, 
My wife should probably be up here because she's probably more of this than I am. Um, first off, I need to apologize to everybody here that has certainly made the comment that is sin. Um, this series has caught me to taught me to check things that we've always heard. So for those of you who I've said, if you have debt, you're a sinner, yeah, sorry about that one, because that's not true. Um, and uh, uh, I'm really convicted this morning, because I just read that this morning, because I was like, so I'll get out of that. Um, we're going back to, uh, my wife and I got married, got in the military, got out, um, Mary's parents were, were starting a business, and, and they were pretty frugal, and uh, I had nothing growing up. Everybody had nothing. I get it. You know, it's no different, um, but I always wanted what that guy on the corner had, because there was always a cool truck, and he had this Corvette that would come out on Sundays, and he'd wash it. Now, being a kid, that's cool, but I don't think he ever drove it. I think the car just came out washed, and it went back in the garage, because I'd never seen it move. Um, so I wanted that, you know. I thought that, would, that was it. Um, skip fast forward to July 6, 1992. I'm at an Amway function. Some of you know what Amway is. It was a business back in the day. It was door-to-door sales, and then it became into more of an internet type of thing. And I don't know what it is now, but I love it because there's a guy on a stage speaking, and he had everything I wanted. Um, and I, was, I had told Kevin I was going to wear my fancy suit up here because in the day, I wanted stuff. Stuff. Because rich people had stuff, and I had nothing. Um, but I was taught not to steal their stuff, so that's kind of an important part of that. Um, you know, so, so he's on a stage, and he's talking about money, because, you know, basically, if you know any type of marketing when you're going into sales, you, money is what you make. They get you fired up, because the more money you have, the more stuff you can get, the more... This guy's talking about money, and then Sunday, he said, you got to come to church on Sunday. And I wasn't opposed to church, but I was raised... You drove a new car this week. I think that's probably flashy. Can you leave that at home? Bring your old car because we don't want people to think people in church have money. Because, and I never understood it because I thought, wouldn't you want people? Wouldn't you see if there's nicer cars? Hey, that's probably a cooler church. You know, maybe they're doing something. What are they learning? I don't know. Something. You know. So. <laughs> so. Uh, we, we, were, we were at this Sunday thing, and this guy, and he says, but here's the catch that you all got to understand. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, that money is nothing. And that was very powerful because to me, money was everything because that's something I never had. And I had heard about God. Don't get me wrong. I had heard about God. I wasn't naive. But what, what I was telling Kevin, sharing with Kevin was, God has the coolest sense of humor how to, I don't want to say drag you into this Christian thing, but, but get you into the spiritual walk. Mine was money. All these people on stage talking about money, 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 these boats, these cars, these things, these vacations. And uh, I wanted that. And if it took God to get it, all right, that's fine with me, you know. And then, of course, we all know you get to know God. You start learning things in life. Um, and it wasn't enough that I, I, I didn't really quite grasp it um, until 1997. And I'm going to give some numbers. And these, again, no brag, no complaint. This is a story. It's, 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 my, it's, it's our story. And um, made about 20, 18 to 20,000 in 1996. I made 101,097. Now, that sounds really cool. And in 19, I guess the end of 97, I went bankrupt. Because when you've had nothing, 
and you four times your income, it can get out of control in a hurry. Like sitting Wednesday at your house going, we should take the kids to Disney World. Okay, let's go tomorrow. <laughs> right? You, got kind of money. you never had money, you got this kind of money, you that's what I did. So when Kevin was speaking earlier about, you know, stuff and how it, I went broke. Um, you want to talk about a humbling day in your life? Sit in front of a judge and uh, say you can't pay your bills. Now, knowing what I know now, it was really foolish. It's foolish regardless. But I had a guy come in, hey, we can make all that go away, 127 bucks. I got whatever I got, 60 grand in debt and credit cards, just credit cards. Um, or 127 bucks. <laughs> Hang on, honey, get the couch cushions. We start digging. We find 127 bucks. I'm out of debt. And I feel this tall for five years of my life. Um, lost a lot of worthiness, you know. Uh, took a long time. Never borrowed a penny. Never borrowed a penny. Five years, never borrowed a penny. Um, <laughs> and any of you wives, just look at your husband and think if he, we're talking nothing. We paid rent on a house because we couldn't afford a house. Well, we actually, the guy we, the guy we had our house with was the only person I didn't file against. Him and Sears, because Sears, they don't let nobody file. <laughs> that guy shows up and says, you, he doesn't. He says, you, what do we have? I don't know what they had. 1200 bucks to Sears, $10 a month. That guy was there, so I had to pay him. Um, so for five years, we didn't borrow a penny. And I mean, we had nothing. I just told you that. I had to scrape 127 bucks up. So you learn a lot. And unfortunately, I got to believing debt was sin, and I don't want to be a sinner. So the VA gave me a loan on a house. My wife's, uh, we're going to fast forward a little bit. Um, my wife's parents passed away and actually left us some inheritance. Well, let's back up. I got to back up to the day that Dave Ramsey was preached in church. <laughs> we had uh, not learned my lesson in 97 because I didn't borrow any money for five years, and then I started that VA loan, got a house. We moved back to, I believe, Judah. Is that where we were living with the with the top? With the, we, uh, my dad, <laughs> guy's broke. I mean, he got nothing but debt. But he, I took my advice from my dad. He's like, son, you got that nice truck, but you know they got that dually up there at uh, smart, somewhere in Madison. My wife goes out of town for the weekend, comes home, and I've got a two-year-old dually crew cab four-wheel drive diesel because I need one. I mean, I'm getting bigger, and I need a bigger truck. So I get that home, and I'm literally almost in tears because my wife is still driving the old car. So I bought my truck on a Saturday when she was gone. So Tuesday, I went back and got my wife an Escalade. Um, yeah, I did it. I did it. Um, and uh, these weren't cheap cars. Um, we were cool, though. I mean, we were cool. We had these two trucks, and I'm like that guy with that vet. I'm washing them every Sunday going, don't go too far. We ain't going to have gas money. <laughs> so through the Escalade breaking down, um, I, I said, well, we should. We, we started with a Tahoe, upgraded to a Tahoe Z71, then we got the Escalade. So you understand this is just, I've already filed bankruptcy once in my life. And I was living on the no debt, and then I did it again. And the reason I'm telling you this is because we're human, right? You, you, you can just screw up that many times. And that guy up there doesn't care. You come back and repent, and he loves you. 
He just brings you in and says, come here, stupid. Let me tell you. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't call me stupid. I don't know. But I feel like I should be called stupid. So now we got the Tahoe. Or no, I think we had the Escalade first, and I started to step back. Anyhow, my wife's car, I think the car was a flood car. Now, this is, I'm a mechanic, and this is terrible to say, but my wife has to have nice cars because I, I don't want to be my dad who never fixed my mom's car. Right? Dad never fixed his own car. It was always the biggest piece of junk in the block. And I think that doesn't make you look good as a mechanic if your car doesn't run. But so then we're sitting and she's she's having problems with the car. The back heater comes on when it wants, when it's hot. The air conditioning comes on in the winter. It's just, it's weird. So I'm like, that's it. Just go pick out a car. She was making uh, very good money and I was doing well. Um, <laughs> we had debt, so it wasn't like we really were making money, but so, Dave Ramsey speech, we walk out of church, and my wife looks at me as we're walking out. I don't say Dave Ramsey. It was a message on Dave Ramsey. And we walk out, and she's like, my new expedition's gone, isn't it? And I said, yeah. <laughs> we were so convicted. We put $10,000 down on a $52,000 car, um, drove it for nine months, went back, and I paid them an additional 2500 bucks to take it back to save my credit. And the guy's, you are a fool. And I'm like, we'll see. But we were so convicted to get out of debt. Um, we were able to, we got out of that debt and, and all we had at home was those two old trucks. And my wife, God bless her, she just starts driving that truck. And she's making very good money driving these two old trucks. I mean, it was, it was so humbling, but it was, it was time to do a checkup from the neck up. Fast forward to my wife's parents dying in 2011, some money was left. And uh, you talk about the lottery, and it wasn't millions. <laughs> Trust me, it wasn't. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was more money I ever had. So we, we sat down and prayed and said, what do we do? And, and, and we had kind of gotten ourselves back out of the debt thing. We were still at a house, um, no car payments. And we were blessed, so we were able to pay off our house, pay off all our debt. And in the last, I don't know how many years it's been, it's 2009 now, I guess, so it's been 19, that's nine. So in the last eight years, um, we've never had debt and, and that's not to brag, but what, what, what money does, it's not just your money. And I know, I know where I'm talking about money, but what it's done for me is given me the time. Somebody needs help moving, I can move. Somebody needs help with a car. Um, I don't always do it for free, but some I can. Um, and and, and, and the, the point I'm trying to get at, and I, want, I don't want this to be about Keith is all this and that in a bag of chips. It's just what you can do with your time and your talents if the money isn't your issue, because, because that, that, that's enslaving to the debtor. The, the stress I went through, I had a full head of hair. And that's not really, that's my daughter. She took that. She has nothing to do with money. And I think that was all her. But what's cool about this, and I'm going to quit. I think it's been over 10 minutes, and I wasn't going to talk that long. But I don't know if I've hit everything we talked about or not. But it, it, it's taken, what you can take with your talents when your stress isn't there. Um, and, and, and comparing yourself to others. I have a, I have a habit of that. And, and, and it's, it's gotten now where it's not, I almost have to get the other way now because it used to be I want what they have. And every once I find myself going, oh, I bet they wish what I had. And then it breaks. And I look up going, thanks. I needed that. I needed that. Um, I'm into stuff. My favorite thing about stuff, and I've learned this and I was experienced with Kevin, is taking people that don't have what I have and letting them play with it. Because that's what makes it fun. If, if, if you think that bass boat in the, in the driveway is cool, take somebody out who doesn't have a bass Amen. boat and take them fishing. 
Um, we have jet skis and a pontoon boat. My stuff is old, by the way, now, because it's just so much fun to... It's actually, it's not fun for people to break down, but it's kind of cool when they're out there playing around and it dies, and you go, see, now God said you had enough fun. <laughs> we don't want you having too much fun. So we're just going to tow that back. But uh, Some of you guys are getting excited about going out with him. Now you're not, right? You're like... <laughs> in, uh, real quick, through this church, I have met some of the most giving people in my life. Um, some friends I've had since we moved back from Spokane. I, I thought my Spokane friends were... They are phenomenal. (laughs) That's not nice. They are phenomenal. They're awesome. But some of the people I've met in this area, in this church, um, there's some pretty amazing people. And, uh, you know, if you've got something to share, trust me, when you think, oh, if I let him use it and he breaks it. My my history, what God has taught me is if, if, if I was to loan it to Jason and he breaks it, I'm almost willing to bet you something nicer comes back in repair whether I get something better, faster, stronger, you know, whatever, but something nicer. So the more you give, I always tell people, go ahead and try to outgive God. Mm-hmm. I'm all about that. I really am. I just, I tell you, give it a shot. Don't give it once because that's just being, you know, like gambling. <laughs> Let's see what he does tomorrow. But I'll, I'll tell you, try it. Mm-hmm. You ain't going to do it. And you ain't going to, it may not just be money, so don't, don't get hung up. Just think about uh, health. You know, sometimes it comes back in your health. Sometimes it comes back in. Um, mm-hmm. The craziest part for me is I love to work. Some people call it workaholic. I don't think I am. So I must be, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> what's cool about this sharing was yesterday, Kevin, mm-hmm. I seen Kevin at it. We went to the Father Kids Day. I took my granddaughter. And I took an entire eight-hour day and just hung out. And in the history, I would have had to work because it's, it's, it's money. That's eight hours of income I have to make. But the time to share with these little kids, you know, and I'm probably not the best kid person anymore because I thought it was awesome we let them shoot guns and bows and arrows. And no, that's what makes we, you the best kid. Person. <laughs> that's why they love you. We are climbing this tree stand. I mean, this thing is so OSHA approved, it's unreal. <laughs> hey, don't get caught on that nail on the way down, you know. But it was so much fun. And, 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 and so I, I guess I'm rambling. I just... When it comes to money, try to outgive God. And it's not just your money. Amen. It's your time. Amen. And you know, sometimes a guy just needs a, hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Want to go to lunch? What's a lunch cut? Well, don't go with him because it's brick house. Way expensive. <laughs> no, just kidding. I got to get the coffee and the panini. I mean, I, I think get the, the whole coffee lunch. was more than the panini thing. <laughs> yep. Anyhow, um, I think I hit it everything we're going to. I just, you can't outgive him. And, 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 and I'm, a, again, the debt thing. It's, 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 it's not your sinning, like I've said forever, which, wow, today's a wild day for me. But the enslavery to it, you know, it can really, it can really cause issues. And it causes marriage issues. I mean, we used to fight about money all the time. Um, now we just fight because we don't know what to do. So. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Because it's fun. Because yeah. it's fun. Actually, <laughs> the fighting is not fun. Isn't that big enough? Let's, let's be honest. So, anyhow. Was I supposed to say that? <laughs> I'm not sure. That's next week's message, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, you know, I want to thank Kevin. Uh, and I, I apologize. There was going to be more people here, but they told me I was going to actually give the message. And I sat with Kevin for lunch, and he said, Keith, I don't think you can give the whole message. Uh, no. uh, Andy was okay with it. Kevin said, nope, you're just going to get a few <laughs> not minutes. Not true. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyhow, if you can get a chance to see Kevin and go out to lunch with Kevin or breakfast, I'm telling you, it's a treat. The guy's the real deal. He's just who he is. 
I mean, I go out with Andy. Uh, Ryan is the only one I haven't had the pleasure to, to go out with to have lunch. Um, but if you guys get a chance, take these guys out. I mean, it is just amazing what, what happens. <laughs> We're available Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday, Friday for lunches, yeah. And I do want to speak on Kevin's children real quick. Um, I did not see any of this destruction yesterday. I got hugs from both girls. I got fish, although the, uh, uh, Layden? Lily. Lily, the oldest son. Landon. Landon, don't give him a stick. <laughs> don't give him a stick about this long, because he'll sit behind you and smack you all the way down the trail. He's quick with it, too, because you turn around and gab it. You know, no, his kids were wonderful. They were awesome. But anyhow, uh, I want to give Kevin a thanks for coming. I think we should give him a round of applause for coming. Thank you. Thank you. The problem is, Keith, is that my father-in-law is the one that wrestles with Landon all the time and is really rough with him. And so anytime he's around older guys now, he thinks that they're like my, his grandpa. And so they just, he like comes at him and starts just like, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, not everyone's your, your grandpa. You need to not do that. They're going to think that I'm raising you wrong. <laughs> Would you guys go ahead and stand to your feet here this morning? I just want to pray us out. If, if what we're sharing here this morning and you're just thinking, man, that's, that's kind of been me. I've gotten trapped in this again. Uh, I just want to speak over you right now. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And what Keith said, he's not mad at you. He loves his kids. But I do believe that God wants to cleanse us and heal us and get rid of all the, what, how the world's in us so that it'll just be him. And so, Lord, we just make that confession here today that we want you to be on the throne of our hearts and no other. We don't want another person. We don't want stuff. We don't want money to be on the throne of our hearts. We just want you. Come on, if that's you, would you just quietly, just with the Lord right now, yes, God, yes, Lord, we want you to be on the throne of our hearts and you alone. And Lord, we just thank you that you have given us all that we have, the air in our lungs, the voice to be able to sing, the voice to be able to talk and encourage someone and to share something, to give, God. You've given us to us so that we could give to others. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would seal that in us. And I just thank you so much for this amazing church. I thank you so much for what you're doing in Jefferson, Wisconsin. And I thank you, Lord, that all the things that we've seen that have been so good, it's just the beginning. Greater things are yet to come. And so, Lord, we just proclaim that over this city. We proclaim it over the schools, over the businesses, over the churches, over this church. Greater things are yet to come. And we are believing you, God, for a great awakening, a revival in our region, a revival in our churches, Lord, where we start seeing people come and just surrender their lives and sing unto you with everything they got. And Lord, thank you so much for the generosity of this church and all that we're able to do because this church is so incredibly generous. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed to be part and to pastor a church that is just filled with generosity. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. amen.